You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. We are in John chapter 2 today. We're going to be in the first 11 verses of John chapter 2. Can we stand together as we read God's word? John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, take your word and, and use it to, to speak to us, God, to change us, to, to, to implant your word deep into our beings so that we might know you more, we might love you more, and we might love and serve others. I pray that this time would be fruitful for all of us, that we would grow and that we would leave this place differently than when we came in. We love you, God, and we praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So it is, it is wedding season. We're kind of the tail end of wedding season here in, in South Florida. And I love weddings. One of the privileges I get as being a pastor is to participate in weddings. And one of the most joyful occasions that a couple, a family get to experience and as wonderful as it is, sometimes you get to see some funny things happen at weddings. You get to see groomsmen and bridesmaids standing for a long period of time, locking their knees and falling over sometimes. You get to see, uh, I, I had a friend, and one thing I do when I do weddings is I tell them, look, when I give you the rings, do not, if they drop, do not go down and get them. We will get them for you. Why? Because if both bride and groom go down for the rings at the same time, they will hit heads. Sure enough, one of my best friend's weddings, rings fall, they both go down, clunk, heads together. Uh, Weddings have their share of humor, some often, it's a high-stress environment, so often it, it can be, you know, it sets us up for some some fails, some wedding fails, uh, things we can't control. I had the privilege of doing Justin and, and Lila's wedding uh, a few months ago. Lila's the one who, singing on stage, she sang What a Beautiful Name, which she did a beautiful job. Amen? Yes, she's awesome. So I got to do their wedding on September, in September as Hurricane Dorian was 
barreling down towards us. We didn't know they were stressed. We were stressed. We didn't know what was going to happen. And thankfully, the storm slowed down, as we all know. And we had the wedding, which was, uh, which was wonderful, but not without stress. And I came across this. I thought this was extremely funny. This is a, a pretty big wedding fail. My mother-in-law wore a wedding dress to my wedding. That's the mother-in-law on the left, and the girl with the clenched fists on the right is the bride. This is a Twitter wedding fail. Weddings bring their share of adventure. I know some of you are really appreciating this. You can't get your eyes off of that and going, what? What, what was she thinking? Hey, crazier things have happened. Today we start a new series. We're going we're gonna to take the four weeks here in November and just focus in a little bit on the Thanksgiving season, on gratitude. Um, we, we're calling it Never Enough, Finding Gratitude in Scarcity. See, this is the time of year when we are pushed into thankfulness. We're pushed into uh, gratitude. We're, we're singing about it. We're thinking about it. We're, we know that that... That holiday is coming up where we are supposed to be thankful. And for many of us, it's just hard. Maybe for all of us, it's hard. Each of us have our, our issues, our things that we're dealing with that when we're told to be thankful, to be joyful, it's hard because we're, we're going, going, going. And our, our schedules are crazy. Our, our, our minds are full. We're just, we're, we're consumed with what's going on around us. And often there's trouble in our lives. And sometimes if you're, if you're like me, you just can feel like, like this, like you're just running on empty. This is actually from my car. If you're going, Adam, why were you taking a picture while you were driving? Because it was so low at that moment. It's like, this is going to be good for my church to see, one, how, 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 how well this applies to what we're doing. And just this, this is just often how life is. And this was me going from one meeting to the next and going, ah, I can make it. <laughs> it ended up, uh, I, I made it, but we had, to, we had to put some gas in at the house. Uh, thankfully, my friend Chris Garcia had a gas can at his house, so we put some gas in the tank, and then I was able to make it to another gas station on my way home. But this, this is life. Right? For many of us, this is life. We are, we feel like we're running on empty. We feel like there is, there is never enough, never enough gas, <laughs> but never enough of the bigger things in life. I actually posted this on my Insta story this week and just was asking some questions, asked this question. Uh, I said, fill in the blank. I never have enough and then I left a blank there, and I wanted to see what people had to say. And so people were, were putting in their answers, uh, which was really helpful for me. And, and we just saw it, right? What do you think the number one thing was? Yep. <laughs> All right, we don't have to dig deep to get to that one. Never have enough time. Never have enough patience. Never have enough energy. Never have enough money. Yeah, I knew that, you knew that was coming. Never enough money. One person was being goofy and said, never have enough toothpaste. But for the most part, it was, it was time, money, patience, knowledge, energy, love. And so what do we do when this is our life, when we feel like 
we never have enough, and then we're told, be thankful. I don't, for me, it, it can be crippling. You feel like you're just, you're running on empty, you're, you're trying to, to manage the chaos in your life, and you feel drained, you feel empty, and then it's like, hey, and be joyful and, and con- content and grateful and generous, and, you know, we keep going, and, and it can just shut us down. And it can even push us into just like, I can't do anything because I just don't have enough. And see, here's the reality. And the truth that I want us to wrestle with today is that there is never enough. There's never enough of all of it. There's very few people in this world that can say, I have enough money. (laughs) Or I have enough patience. I have enough time. See, the reason why there's never enough is, is not because the fact that this, our lives go in these cycles where we, we fill up and we spend and drain and we fill up and we spend and drain, but we also view it incorrectly. We view the way, uh, what, what enough is. We don't see it the right way. See, we live in a world of scarcity, right? That's in the subtitle, finding gratitude in scarcity. Do you know what scarcity is? Scarcity, the, the best illustration I have is when you go to Amazon and you want to buy something on Amazon and the item you want, there's a little, little message underneath the item. It says what? Only four left. And you're like, everybody wants it. I got to get it. If I don't get it now, then we're going to be out. They're never out. But in that moment, they're making you believe you need this and you need it now. And everybody, if you don't get it now, you're not going to have enough of it or we're not going to have enough. That's the scarcity mindset. It's, It's something we live in every single day. And it's this, no matter how much I have, I need more. And so I want to help us think about this and help us see that if we're waiting If we're waiting to have enough of anything in order to move forward in life, in order to do the things that God has called us to do, if we're waiting for that moment to say, oh, I finally have enough to give or enough to do, or we will never move forward. We will be stuck. We will be paralyzed. We will be gripped into inaction, inactivity, and that's not what God has called us to. Often I, I, I talk to young couples and, and they're like, yeah, we're just, we're just, we're not ready to have kids yet. We just need, we need to get more money. We don't have enough money. We want to be set. And in all the time, I just say, you will never have enough money for your children. You will never have enough time. You will never have enough of these things in order to get to that station in life. And so God often just calls us to, to step forward and to look to him for these things. So how do we do this? How do we find joy and gratitude and peace and contentment in the midst of scarcity that is constantly telling us that we need more? What do we do when the wine runs out? Our passage today helps. What do we do when the wine runs out? What do we do when we are running on empty? See, this story is, is a wedding. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing account in the Gospel of John. He tells us that this is the first sign that Jesus did, and the signs that Jesus did were there to prove to his disciples and to us that he is God. He is the Messiah. He is this perfect union of God and man. 
And so we, we see a potential wedding fail happening. Mother-in-law didn't dress in a wedding dress, but something else terrible happens. The wine runs out. Probably ran out a day or two into the celebration. See, weddings would take a long time. They were a much bigger deal in that culture. Weddings would, would not just be one day, a few hours, but it would be days of wedding celebration. And so they're, 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 they're having a good time, and all of a sudden, the wine goes out. And this would be a staple for the celebration. This would be a unifying element of the celebration for the wedding. And what would happen is, in that culture, it's a, it's a, it's a shame culture, right? The ancient... East, Middle East, much different than us. If wine runs out, this would look terribly, this would be a terrible occasion for the bride and the groom, for their families, especially the groom, because he was in charge of making sure the party was going well. And so Jesus is there, and his mom is there. And this, this interaction between Jesus and Mary is so interesting. So I come from a Jewish family. Half of my family is Jewish. I have a lot of Jewish relatives, and, you know, there are just some things that stick out when you're reading the scriptures that are very Jewish. <laughs> and this is one of those occasions. You have mom coming to Jesus saying, son, the wine's run out, and he's saying, why, why, why are you telling me this? What do you want me to do? My time hasn't come yet. And it's almost as though she just ignores everything he says. Like, yeah, yeah, sweetie, that's nice. Go do what he says, you know? Like, she's just, the, the Jewish mom takes over, and that's, that's what happens. And so, you know, he's, he's powerless. He's the Lord of the universe. He's powerless against his faithful Jewish mom. And so she, she tells the servants, do what he tells you, and then Jesus gives them instructions. And so the big question is for this story why? Why is this the first thing he does? Why this miracle? Why this sign? I mean, because if you step back, it's an unusual way to get your ministry going. There's no real instruction on why he does it or what's the bigger meaning. He's not healing the sick. He's not raising the dead. He's not walking on water. This, he's, he's keeping the party going. So there has to be more to it. And so our our question is, why? Why keep the party going with more wine? Why respond to your mother this way? Why the jars? Why all of this? And I believe it's because God wants to help us understand what to do when the wine runs out. There's a bigger picture that he is painting for us. See, what happens to you when you are depleted, when you are running on empty, right? I mean, just take that gas situation where I'm driving on 75, you know, I'm below negative. It's like Jesus is fueling my car at that point. What, what happens to you in those moments or when you're running out of time and patience and all those other things? We, we start to get, it, it impacts our, our joy. We become hopeless. We become faithless. We just start to experience all of these emotions and all of these problems that God wants to address in us. And so those are kind of the, the three things we're going to hang our hat on today, joy, hope, and faith, because I believe they each are addressed in a unique way, and I believe they are key to what we experience every day when we are feeling like we're running out. See, when the wine runs out, that's when we learn. And that's when we grow. See, how do you view joy? 
How do you view joy? How do you see joy take shape in your life? Here's how I tend to describe it. When there's this close connection between circumstances and expectations and joy. When my expectations are met, there's joy. Right? When, I, when, I, when my expectations are met or exceeded, man, that's when I am happy, that when I am joyful, when things are just flowing the way they're supposed to, right? I expect this to happen today, and when it does, yes, I'm happy. But the other side of it, when my expectations are here and, and the day does not meet those expectations, what happens, man? Joy flows out. Like, it is, it is gone. I think God is pushing us always to not see our joy so wrapped up in our circumstances, so wrapped up in our expectations. I mean, we all experience this in our marriages, in our families, with our kids, at our jobs, right? You, you go into work expecting the day to go a certain way, and man, when it does not go that way, whew, we're undone. If you're married, cook a great dinner for your husband or your wife, you, you, you extend yourself, you, you do that extra load of laundry, you, you do that extra time with the kids, and then the spouse comes in, and, and you know, you're, you're expecting this, like, oh, you are so amazing, I love you, I can't believe you did all this, and they're like, it needs more salt. <laughs> Easy. That may or may not be an occasion that happens in our home. <laughs> in that moment, man, we are confronted with, is my joy wrapped up in this? My expectations weren't met. My circumstances are crummy. Is this okay now for me to be joyless? See, we are all tempted to live this way. It is natural. And Jesus came to free us from that kind of life, from that prison, from that cycle of constantly comparing our life with other people and based on how other people treat us. See, he shows us that we can have joy apart from these circumstances. And the reason I, I can say that is because we meet this character in our passage in verse 9. He's called the master of the feast. See, the master of the feast is the ancient DJ. That person would have been the, the man to keep the party going, to make sure that people were celebrating and dancing, and to make sure that the wine was still there and that he ordered enough. And we have a big problem. The, the wine is gone. They didn't order enough. Somebody messed up. And so we have a problem, and it's his fault. He was the joy bringer. He was the bringer of joy for the wedding. And the wine runs out and the party's in trouble. And not just the party, but the bride and groom are in trouble. They, they would be shamed, like I said before, if, if this happens and the master of the feast has failed. When Jesus makes this new wine, he's doing something very important. He's he becomes the master of the feast. He becomes the savior of the day. He becomes the bringer of joy. He is the one who is doing what no one else can do. I mean, the wine runs out. That's, you can't go to the grocery store. 
You can't run to the liquor shop and say, all right, we need more wine. And when Jesus provides the new wine, he's showing that he is the true master of the feast and is the one who brings joy. He is the source of joy in any and all of the circumstances. And so the question that we have to wrestle with every single day, when, when, when the wine runs out, and you understand what I mean by that, not our literal wine, but whatever that is for our lives, when the gas is running out, when time, patience, energy, knowledge is running out, when it runs out, where do we go? Are we just waiting for our circumstances to change so that we can find joy again? It, it can't be that. Jesus is showing that it's not about the wine. He makes more wine than they would know what to do with. It says there were six jars, each had carried 30 gallons. It's 180 gallons. You know how much wine that is? That'd be enough for each of us to have like 10 bottles of wine. It's about 900 bottles of wine, over 900 bottles of wine, 11 and a half kegs. It's unbelievable how much wine they would have had left over. And not only is it abundant, but it's what? It's better. It's the best. And Jesus is showing us constantly, I am better. I'm better than all of it. I'm better than, than the crummy wine you gave, the fact that you don't have wine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on your behalf because I love you and I am joy. And my friends, man, we need this. We need this because our life, our joy is so wrapped up in what happens day in and day out. And God just wants us to break free from all that and find freedom and joy in the fact that he is our God. And that he provides He provides. Where do you run when the wine runs out? Do you run just for more wine? Because <laughs> some of us do that. We just want more wine. We want more of whatever's lacking. Or we're just going to numb our, we're going to get distracted. We're going to numb our senses. We have Netflix. We have social media. We have video games. Maybe it's another relationship that you're seeking after that is, you're trying to make that the source of your joy. But what's going to happen, man? It, the wine is going to run out if we don't have the source of never-ending wine. If your hope and faith is not, are not wrapped up in who Jesus is, then it is always going We're always going to be looking in the wrong places. When you're out of wine, the answer isn't more wine, it's Jesus. If you believe that, if you don't believe that, I would call you this morning to put your, your hope, put your everything into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for new life, that he would be your Lord and Savior. If you do believe that he is the source of joy, then the next question for us to ask is, well, does my life show that? Does my life look like I have joy? Or am I just constantly walking in this manner where joy is absent from my face, from my speech, from my thoughts? 
And so maybe you're thinking, man, yeah, Adam, I get this. I, I want that. I intellectually understand it. But every day there are things that are just robbing me of my joy. They come in and they steal the joy that just when I start to get a little bit joyful, it comes in and it just takes it away from me. And I get it, my friends. I get it. I get it. And I, I want to help you because I want to give you hope, right? He doesn't just address our joy, but in order for joy to be there in Christ. We need another layer of hope to be built up within us. And I believe that this story gives us hope because he chooses to help in such a way. He, he takes these jars, these jars that were made for purification and they're big. They're made to wash people clean when they would touch something unclean. In the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish religion, ancient Jewish religion, they had to wash in order to purify themselves. But the problem was that and there wasn't enough soap and water in all the world to wash us clean from our biggest problem, and that is sin. We have a problem with our God. We are constantly confronted with a perfect and holy God in our lives, which are just imperfect, to say the least. And Jesus takes these jars that were meant to be a symbol of cleansing of sin and impurity, and he fills them with water, which is what they would have been used for. And he does something amazing. He turns that water into wine. This isn't just about making a party exciting or continuing. See, look, in the moment of great shame and guilt that this couple would have experienced, Jesus covers them. He covers their shame. And he shows them and us that what those jars were supposed to do to clean and to purify, which they couldn't do, he actually can do it. He can do the impossible. He can take water and turn it into wine and turn it into an action that covers shame and guilt and brings hope for not only that couple, but for us. That's where hope is. Day in and day out, we live and act and act in ways that, that separate us from this perfect and holy God that we serve. And we just love to try to clean ourselves up. We want to purify ourselves. We want to wash away whatever makes us what we feel bad or, or strengthen us in what we feel is good. And we always go to the wrong places to do it. We go to the jars of water and they can't. We always are reaching for our own purification to make us feel better. And maybe it's you, you, you give to the needy, maybe you're volunteering, maybe you're wanting to quit a bad habit, you're just saying, man, I gotta get my life together, I gotta get back to church. Can't tell you how many times I hear that, man. Or someone like will curse in front of me and then they're like, hey, what do you do? And like, oh, I'm a pastor. And like, oh, I'm so sorry that I cursed in front of you. I'm like, it's okay. I gotta get back to church, man. I've really been feeling like I gotta get back to church. Listen, church is great. I'm glad you're here. Come back, invite more people. We need to be here. But 
this is not the source of your purification. This is not the source of your hope. This is, this is where you learn about who the source of your hope is, and that's Christ. And he, he takes this, this water, he turns it into wine as a sign and a symbol that he is the one who covers our shame, who covers our impurities. And when we try to to do it on our own, whether we try to cover up our shame or we try to bolster up the good things in us, neither work. We hope constantly that something will make us better, but we cannot make ourselves better. That's what Jesus came to do, to intervene. And so what he does is he removes the shame and the guilt from us when we put our faith in him and he says, I've covered you, you are mine. There's freedom in that. And that way we then can stop trying to find approval. We can stop trying to live life constantly in, with our circumstances or without. If, if, if our boss says this to me, whether he says it this way or this way, then I'm gonna be either inflated or I'm gonna be crushed or whether my wife or my husband or my father, or my kids, whatever, we, we, we don't have to live in that constant hamster wheel. We have as God who has defined who we are and we can be free in that and so we don't have to live for the approval of others. We don't have to live to cover our shame, to cover our guilt. We have a Savior who has covered us. There's hope in that. Everything else is hopeless. And we rest in that. And nothing can take that hope away. And so that should encourage our faith because that's, that's the final piece, right? We're kind of working our way up. Like joy and hope is like this underbelly of a foundation, but then underneath that is our faith. See, our faith gets stretched in these times, right? When you're running on empty, when, you, when, it's, when you're on fumes, you're just going, man, is God even there? Does God even care about me? Is he real? I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. Where is he? And this is where we end. Because there's one line in here that I think we will miss because it's so small and it should encourage us, and it's this. When Jesus and his mom are having this conversation he says, woman, what, what does this have to do with me? This is verse four. He says, my hour has not yet come. This is a fascinating little bit. Because if you know about the hour, what's he talking about? He's talking about when he's gonna go to the cross to die. And we're still a couple years away from that. And so he's sitting at this wedding and he's, he is, his mom says, son, they're out of wine. And he says, what do you want me to do about it? It's not my time to die. And it's strange. But here's what happens. And the worship team can come on up. We see Jesus exercising a measure of faith here. And I know that might sound strange to you. And you're like, Jesus exercising faith. Look, Jesus is this perfect blend of God and man, right? He is fully God, fully man. We don't fully understand how that, that union exists, but we see Jesus' humanity throughout the Bible being talked about, right? He, he gets hungry. That's, that's human. He gets a little bit anxious. That's, that's human. It says in the scriptures that he was tempted in every way that we were, but he did not sin. Like Jesus experienced all the same things that you and I experience and so he is sitting at this wedding, and 
what we learn in scripture is that all of creation, all of humanity is leading up to this great wedding feast where Jesus is described as the, the groom and the church, you and me, we are described as the bride and Jesus died for his bride. Jesus suffered for his bride so that he would love and secure a bride for himself. And that is some of the most beautiful imagery in all of the scriptures. And he is sitting at this wedding and I believe he's looking forward, ahead to the cross. And he sees, he knows his mission in this world is to live a life that ultimately ends in dying for you and for me and for suffering for our sake. And I think he sees it. Even though it's years away, he's sitting at this wedding and he is looking ahead for the great wedding that is to come and it's impacting him. And I think the force of it comes through in this conversation with his mom. Jesus understood his mission on earth and he lived day in and day out knowing that all of it, everything that he was doing was leading to a cross. And he had to exercise a measure of faith in this moment. And I think this should encourage us because we are constantly faced with faith exercising opportunities. A constant influx of moments where the question comes, what do I believe? Right, when the wine runs out, that moment, what do I believe? That God wants me to go thirsty? Or that God is using scarcity to teach me something? that God is, is stretching my faith. He, has he abandoned me or is he loving me? And right now, you, some of you are in the point where you're feeling like God has abandoned you and what he's doing is he's loving you and he's shepherding you and he is caring for you. And sometimes we know, especially us as parents, we know that that doesn't always come unless there's a little bit of pain involved. When I make my kids eat broccoli, they think we are abusing them. What are we doing? Man, we're loving them. We're making them better. We're making them stronger. We're feeding them. And sometimes God is feeding us. And you're like, you're feeding me, God, but there's no wine. There's nothing left. I'm running on fumes. Where'd you go? And we can look at Jesus sitting at this banquet going, my time has not yet come, but I I see it. I, there is a faith moment that Jesus is having. And I believe that God is wanting to strengthen you and me in our faith and to renew our trust in God that his plan for your life is good, that he loves you in a way that a groom loves his bride, because that's what it's described as to us in scripture. And God, he wants you to experience real joy and real 
hope and real faith and that it would stir you up to move, to not withdraw, but to move. When the fumes, when you're running on fumes and the wine has run out, to not shrink back and go, man, I can't do anything until I have more. No, no, there'll never be enough. He is calling you to lean into that into the scarcity and find gratitude in that, to find hope and say, God, you are doing something here and so I'm not gonna shrink back. I am going to move forward in faith, believing that you love me and you are working in me and that you are doing something that I can't see. And man, I know it's hard. I'm standing on this stage right now as a product of taking those steps in the middle of what I considered the world crumbling around me. And God just called me and my family and you to a step of faith. One step. Don't step back. Step forward. Give of your time. Give of your money, give of your heart, give of your resources, and you're feeling like, Adam, I don't have enough. Exactly. God calls us to give out of our abundance in him, not our abundance in material things. He is the source. He is where we run to. Run to God. Let's pray. It's heavy, God, because I know, I know there are men and women in this room who are we're at the end of their rope. It's not that they feel they don't have enough in one area. They feel like there's not enough in all the areas. And so, God, we, we want to love on our friends. And we don't want to just take a casual approach to saying, just trust God more. But God, when, I, when everything has run out, all we have is you. And I pray that that would be a reminder to us this morning, to my friends here, to me, that we would remember you don't change. You never run out. You never lose energy or go to bed or get tired or get hungry. Now you, you have everything at your disposal. You are the source of all strength and all hope and all joy and all faith. And I pray you would pour that into us in a fresh way this morning, God, and that we would be able to live this out in a new way. When we go to work tomorrow, when we wake up tomorrow and the world starts crumbling in around us and starts to, to just wear us out and we feel like that we're draining and it's all going and the wine is running out, God, we would be able to remember your word and say, no, no, Jesus took water. He made it into wine, and he is doing that in my life. He is filling me with something new. Help us, God. And if there's, there's anyone in this room who has not trusted you for their salvation, that you would call them right now, that they would commit their life to you, and they would be able to say, I'm out, I'm run, I've run out. But now there's a solution, because without you, when we run out, when the wine runs out, that's it. With you, we have hope. Fill us with that hope today, God. In Jesus' name.